What's really good, everyone? Welcome into another episode of the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, the Hangout in the Holy Land. It'd probably be better if I just said the title right before. I don't know why I said the official podcast, but we are Land Grant Holy Land, and this is the Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning. I am your host, joined as always by my friend and cohort and co-host in Ohio, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what's going on, man? How are you feeling after week one? Man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling tired because I was up um, until like 3 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday watching um, our our boy Cole McDonald light up Navy. Um, but got a good night of sleep last night after watching LSU just take it to Miami, which was surprising. Um, shout out Joe Burrow. Shout out um, Chris Branch on Twitter, who's the best LSU fan. Um but I'm feeling good. I, we, we've got, uh, we're recording this on a Monday, so we've got Florida State, Virginia Tech still going tonight. Um, but I think it was a really good weekend to college football, and obviously it was, a, it was a good weekend for Ohio State. Week one is always rough because it starts, like there's games Thursday and then Friday and then Saturday and then Sunday and then Monday. And there, it really isn't like that throughout the rest of the season. Like there'll be Thursday games, but man, this first stretch is brutal in the best possible way. Man, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Dude, yeah, it, it is exhausting. And it's a little better be on the West Coast. This is my like first time being on the West Coast for college football. And I don't know, like I'm not a morning person, but I can get up for college football. And for the games to start at 9 and the last game to be over at like 10.30, maybe 11, is... It's some next level shit. I'm really digging it right now. Yeah, that seems like the way to live. Yeah, it, it really is. And everybody, like, you're central time, right? I'm Eastern. Oh, yeah. Eastern is, yeah. like, that is, it, it's easy to see why, like, East Coast, New York, that's not a big college football hub. Yeah. <laughs> that Saturday night BYU-Arizona game, man, that'll do you in. If you're an Arizona grad in NYC, my uh, my thoughts and prayers to you, buddy. <laughs> also, why are you listening to this podcast if you're an Arizona grad in hey, NYC? Hey, you never, you never know with our listenership. But we are here to talk about Ohio State's 77-31 to win over Oregon State. This was a really... Weird game, early morning game, one of the first of the day, and there was an hour and 15-minute delay at halftime with the weather. So it, it was really wonky, and the game ended much later than it should have. But Ohio State takes care of business. Dwayne Haskins' first start. We're going to break all of this down, but but overall, what are your what are your thoughts on Ohio State's opener versus Oregon State? Uh, well, I think the main thing that we, we should say on this podcast is that we were right about Dwayne Haskins. He's good. Yeah, and <laughs> hey, no quarterback competition. Ryan Day, before the game, in his presser, talking about, said Tate Martell made a big push. Unless we, <laughs> unless Tate Martell just had first game jitters, I think it was pretty clear that uh, Dwayne Haskins was far out ahead I was in and out of the LSU game so I didn't see a ton of how Joe Burrow played so I don't know you know when it comes to him versus Burrow but it's pretty easy to see why Dwayne Haskins 
is the guy for Ohio State going forward. Yeah, I um I did watch most I, I watched most of the LSU game. Joe Burrow looked fine. I mean, eleven for twenty four for one hundred and forty yards. That's it's all right. That is the it's most LSU quarterback stat line yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah, the the way that I described it, not to get too far off on a tangent, talking about LSU football on this Ohio State football podcast. Um, but the way that I described it is that he's a pretty high level LSU quarterback. That's you know. It is what it is. Um, I think Joe Burrow is fine. I, I don't know why there are still people in my Twitter mentions trying to defend Joe Burrow as someone who is better than Dwayne Haskins, uh, which he's not. He's just definitively not. I mean, he would be the starter here if he was, and he's not. Um, but we were right. Dwayne Haskins is good as hell. <laughs> yeah, 22 of 30, 313 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. I think the stat was he's the first Ohio State quarterback to ever in his first start have over 300 yards passing and five touchdowns. And I, I think it's easy to get caught up in like the glitzy numbers, 313 yards, the five touchdowns. Two of those touchdowns were just off pop passes, but I think the bigger takeaway is just how comfortable he looked from the beginning. I mean, he, from that first drive, from the long throw to Terry McLaurin down the seam, he just looked like he was in command of the offense. There was one play, I think it was in the second quarter, or maybe it was the third quarter where Paris Campbell was out of position on the left side and Haskins like went over to him and yelled at him. It was like, no, 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 shift over to the right. So it, it just looked like he was super comfortable in the offense. They didn't take a bunch of deep shots, with, which I was kind of surprised about. That looked a little bit like last year's offense in terms of the crossing routes and some of the other stuff they did short yardage-wise. But, man, he, he just looked like he – was very aware of what everyone was doing. He never really panicked. Even on the interception, he was just trying to make a play down in the red zone. And like we've talked about, that's stuff that I think we're just going to have to live with with him. He's going to try to get away with more because of his arm. And that's fine because what he does with his arm is so good. And there weren't a ton of like wow throws, but what impressed me was just the decision-making and just his command of the offense. Yeah, I thought, you know, because like you said, we, we knew that we were going to have a little bit less of a, of a risk-free offense this season than we did with JT Barrett last season, and that's, I think, not a not the worst thing in the world. Um, I was also a little bit surprised that they didn't throw the ball down the field a little more, but, I mean, I don't know why you really would need to against Oregon State. I think that they were pretty much just fine throwing it underneath, throwing it to the crossing routes. I mean... We saw Terry McLaurin took a like a basic slant 75 yards to the house. We saw K.J. Hill break a couple bigger receptions. I, I think that these receivers <clears throat> in general um, are probably better with the underneath stuff and then turning it into a big play, which is um, a little concerning, honestly, that there's not a true deep threat on this team. Maybe Austin Mack, maybe a guy like Chris Olave will step up later in the season. Um, but at least for a team like, you know, a team with this much talent against Oregon State or against Rutgers or against a really good portion of this schedule probably won't need to show too much offensively to put up points. But um, putting up 77 points is quite quite impressive, especially when you're really not chucking the ball around all that much. Shout out to Terry McLaurin. Four catches, 121 yards. Awesome. Yeah, two touchdowns. I have not been a big proponent of his the last couple of seasons, but this was probably the best that he's looked uh, that there was that play I referenced earlier on the first drive where he got down the middle of the field. And then the first play of the second half where at first it looked like it was a slant route and he just took it to the house, but he was fully stopped and then just restarted again, 
cut up field to the left and booked it for a 75 yard touchdown. So that I thought that was very encouraging to see KJ Hill had six catches for 82 yards. Austin Mack five for 69. Very nice day for him. Um, but nothing really, I think stood out outside of Terry McLaurin. There wasn't really a lot of usage for the tight ends. Jeremy Ruckert caught a ball. Rashad Berry caught a pass for a touchdown, but it, it was a solid day for them. And I, I thought just from like a technical standpoint, they looked fine. And for being just in a month of actual real coaching, I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I will say um, it's shocking. The receivers look like they know how to catch a pass or run routes or anything. Uh, I wonder what changed. Yeah. It, it seemed like they just played super competently and that that's fine. We don't need yeah, like, like they had a coach or something. We don't. Yeah. We don't need superstar <laughs> level play from Ohio state's receivers, just competent. And that's what they look like against a power five team yesterday. Uh, going back to the quarterback stuff, it was 10:45 left in the second, and Ohio State was either up 20, I think it was 28-7 at this point, and Tate Martell came in on the first down and had no yards on a first down carry, and then a two-yard gain to J.K. Dobbins, and then the staff was like, "Yeah, we're gonna bring in Dwayne," and he immediately threw for a first down, and I think let him down for a touchdown drive. You know, it's it's one series; it was only two plays. But I, I think that that was a moment where they overthought it a little bit. And then when it got to third down, they were like, eh, you know what? We might as well put Dwayne back in there. And they kind of realized that that was a fault. That was not the smartest decision. Yeah. And like I um, I touched on this a little bit in the, the stock market report that I wrote after the game of, you know, like the things about Ohio State or about Oregon State that we're buying or selling, basically. And one of the, the things, one of the only things that I was really upset about with this game was that um, they really thought that they could bring in Tate Martell and use him as a running quarterback, and that would work in a real-life football game. <laughs> that was a very much Urban Meyer left these specific instructions for Ryan Day. If you're going to do one thing, I want to see Tate early in the game. That was That's what that felt like. Man, like, I, I know that you are also a proponent of the NCAA football video games, as am I. And that's like a thing you can do in those, you know, where you have a running quarterback that you bring in to run and it works because the defenses are uh, computers and not real people. But <laughs> when it's a real life football game with like a living defensive coordinator and living defensive players and they can see, well, hey, that's Tate Martell. They're going to run. <laughs> well, and then after that, the only first half punt, the only punt of the game was with Martell at quarterback and they didn't even really move the ball there. I think there was a penalty in like a third and. 12 that they only got seven yards on and they had to punt which i'm fine with because drew christman folks let off an dude. absolute boomer 65 yards the drew christman hive has definitely logged on on this podcast yeah. that was a hell of a punt <laughs> so you know what that that was fine for that but i i don't think i i just don't think he's ready this isn't any indictment on tate martell but this is definitely something that I don't want to see against TCU or in Happy <laughs> Valley against Penn State. Like, no, Urban Meyer, don't do it. We're going to see him a lot probably this week against Rutgers, but, you know, I, I just why, – why take Dwayne Haskins off the field? If it's still a game, he's, he's the guy and he needs to be in the game. And um, only two carries for Dwayne Haskins, none of which were 
predetermined. They were just on scrambles, 24 yards. So that was very encouraging to see. Yeah, it was definitely, I, I think that that's the right place for him to be around is two, three, maybe five carries max. Um, there, there weren't really any read options, at least that I saw. Um, when he scrambled, it was usually because there was a lot of pressure, which is when you really want your quarterback to scramble, not just kind of out of the blue for fun. Um, he certainly doesn't seem to like to scramble, which I'm, I'm glad for because I would like to see him survive the entire season. Um, but, you know, when you have a guy like Mike Weber and you have a guy like J.K. Dobbins, there's no real reason to run your quarterback, and we, we kind of saw that in this game because Mike Weber went off. I mean, Mike Weber looks like when the evaluations came out for the NFL draft last year that either somebody he really, really trusted or somebody from the NFL that has some clout told his people like, yo, man, you're not going to get picked. Like that is what he looked like yesterday, that he had gotten some super bad news on his NFL draft evaluation last year when he decided to come back because he set a career high in rushing yards with 186 had three rushing touchdowns, had a receiving touchdown. Man, he just he looked like a different back. Like, that looked like his high school highlights. If you went back and watched Mike Weber, what he looked like at Cass Tech, that was it because he was a little bit doughier, even in his freshman season, and he still has that power. He was attacking some dudes with stiff arms yesterday or on Saturday, but he just looked like a totally different back, and Ryan Day in the postgame presser said that He's been one of their best practicers, and I, I think that he has he brought a lot of intensity, and that isn't something I think we've always seen from him. Yeah, I think this is kind of the Mike Weber we were always expecting to see um, in his redshirt freshman season where he was the only starter. He always looked—I mean, he was picking up yards, but he wasn't really very explosive. Was a lot that of acceleration. Yeah. Yeah, but then last year he started to kind of show that acceleration. He was making some big plays, but he just really couldn't stay on the field. He wasn't healthy enough. He, I think it was a leg issue, if I remember correctly, and just really couldn't get the amount of playing time that he probably deserved. Um, but if he's put it all together this year, he's got the acceleration that we saw last year, and he's healthy. Um, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's an unbelievable combination that they have him. And then they also have JK Dobbins, who was one of the best freshmen running back in the country last year. And, um, you know, you mentioned the draft thing and, uh, th- this is certainly a little bit off topic and we won't talk about it too much. Cause I don't think we really care about the draft, but if there's a year for Michael Weber to be an elite running back, it's this year. Cause this running back draft class is not great. Um, next year's is kind of the one that everyone is excited about and last year's everyone was excited about but this year's class is pretty empty and <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if that means that Mike Weber has a huge season as he tries to establish himself as a top back in the country J.K. Dobbins with 74 yards on a quiet 15 carries too I, I don't think that there's... he's back at it with the picking up yards that we just didn't know about <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how much talk there's been about the splits between them, but I think that'll even itself out. Weber was the hot hand. Uh, J.K. Dobbins started the game, got a couple carries on the first drive, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that both these guys go over a thousand yards this season. I think they're well on their way. The offense as a whole ran for 375 yards on 53 carries. Brian Sneed and Master Teague each got in on the action, scored a touchdown each, so that was very nice to see. Um, on that rushing game and just the offense in general, our biggest concern was the offensive line, and it's one game against a defensive line that really didn't stand a chance, but 
Ohio State's new line looked very good. There were a lot of times where Weber and Dobbins weren't being touched until they were four or five yards down the field. That was super encouraging. Haskins had a clean pocket to throw out of all game. I thought the line, for what it's worth, looked really good, and it was it was super positive to see that in week one with the new group. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought that the the line looked solid. I think Mike Jordan did a good job at center. Um, there was really, in my mind, I can't remember any big blown plays where Dwayne Haskins got blown up in the pocket and didn't have any time. Um, I think they look good. Obviously, Oregon State's defense is not very good, and um, Rutgers' defense probably will give them a bigger test, which is strange to say about Rutgers, but that defense is not terrible. Uh, and then TCU will be the best test for this line until like Penn State in late September. Um, but yeah, I thought they looked. I thought they looked good. They they looked um, coherent. They were playing together well. I was, um, you know, I, I was encouraged to to see that and they were open up opening up big holes for the running attack which was not super surprising because they've really never struggled with with run blocking but the pass blocking looked good too and hopefully that can that can keep up against uh, better defenses speaking of bad defenses let's talk about ohio state's defense because they gave up over six over <laughs> six yards per play man to oregon state i don't think anyone expected that oregon state had let's let's see here let me click on it over they had seven plays of over 20 yards that that's not good that is not what we expected from ohio state's defense where do we want to start with this and what do you what are your what are the biggest takeaways that that you have about this defense because i i think everybody's like super shocked that this kind of went down the way it did well the you know before the game we, we heard that um, that you know Fuller would be missing the game, and that was that was kind of concerning because um, the safeties are not, I don't think, Woo! the deepest part of this team, and not having Jordan Fuller is uh, kind of iffy <laughs> because Isaiah Pryor is brand new back there, and um, Jordan Fuller was kind of expected to be the leader of this defensive backfield, and you know, outside of Damon Arnett, who I thought was fine, I, I think Damon Arnett looked pretty good. Um, but Jocelyn Went struggled quite a bit. Um, Isaiah Pryor struggled quite a bit, and Kendall Sheffield, who I'm still not super impressed by to this point, um, and our guy Jeffrey Okuda had he had some a rough really one. Dumb, yeah, he had some really dumb plays there. I, I think that there were back-to-back -back plays where Chase Young called for offsides, and then Jeffrey Okuda got called for pass interference. <laughs> like on the same exact play and they did it was even like oregon state called the same play yeah they just threw the ball <laughs> down the right side of the field to the same dude oh man but i mean it's not it's it's one game and it's a pretty young defensive backfield and i, I think that it's fair to assume or at least hope that they'll get better um the I, i've seen a lot of concern about the safeties and that's certainly fair Jocelyn Wynn ended up with um tied for the most tackles on the team so that's not great. You don't usually want your safety to have that many tackles, <laughs> but um, I, I think that the my main concern is kind of the linebackers, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to get your thoughts on the defensive backs and the safety. My only my last thought on Went was just going back and watching. He just looked like he was super eager to make plays. There were a couple of those big yeah. runs where he just like shot through, and you know whether that's nerves or jitters, really getting your first action. I, I think that even if he isn't like a great player. 
that type of stuff will probably just be eliminated from his game the more he plays. I, I don't think he'll be so overeager to make plays. And same with Pryor. And I, I'm I'm with you on Sheffield. I heard like a month ago that scouts were at Ohio State's practice and everybody was like, this guy is the guy. And only the only thing people talked about was his speed. And I was like, what about mm. his corner play? Like, what about playing the ball? I think it was him in the first half that like Oregon state had that third and 19 and just chucked the ball up and it should have been picked off and it went right through his hands and went for a first down. And ultimately they scored a touchdown, but I think he, he certainly has the tools, but even, even him and Arnett, I I'm super low. I think on the ceiling of those guys, I'm still holding out hope for Sean Wade, who made a really nice tackle on kickoff so i got that going for me yeah free sean free wade. sean wade <laughs> but let, let's get into the linebacker play because it was up and down i think the the downs were more so baron browning another really young guy who i know we were excited about i wrote about how i thought he would play and he just looked lost in his first time the talent is certainly undeniable but playing middle linebacker in your first game in ohio stadium in that type of environment is tough and I thought it showed. He, he definitely looked like another dude who was super overeager to make plays. And that's stuff that I think will just, with time, he'll get better at. I think you'll see a lot of improvement from last week to this week against Rutgers. So that's something to look out for. Tough Borland played, which is still amazing. Dumb. Amazing and, and dumb. <laughs> the fact that he would even be out there. But it, it looks like he's good to go, which five months after an Achilles injury is unbelievable like that's just ridiculous pete werner we want to talk about players who look good pete werner looked really good like if you go back and watch he was everywhere and he was making plays he made the hit on the safety i think he had a, at least one more tackle for loss he looked super impressive yeah pete werner surprised me and the the other linebacker who i think um really stood out to me was a little bit later in the game and he was actually named um by ohio state one of the players of the game justin hilliard um, I thought Justin Hilliard looked awesome and uh, you know it was we've been waiting for quite yeah. a while for him to step up and, and be ready and after seeing Baron Browning in this game after seeing Malik Harrison in this game and I think Pete Warner was really the only other linebacker that I was impressed by I think Justin Hilliard should probably be in the starting lineup because he looked awesome he, he looked like um, like what a middle linebacker should be um, he looked like he knew what he was doing. He he knew where he was supposed to be on the field. He's um, he's not a great athlete, but he's big. He can he can take up a lot of space in the middle of the field, and it it seems like until Baron Browning is ready, um, and until even even when Tough Borland is healthy, I'm not a big Tough Borland fan. I think he's fine, but I don't I'm not a huge like. I think his ceiling is pretty low, but I think just Justin Hilliard should probably get a chance at the starting spot and just, just to see how he can do with a, a full game of action or at least something close to a full game of action. Very nice to see that Justin Hilliard is healthy after battling injuries. And he was one of the top rated linebackers in that class where he came out. And we have yep, been, we've, five star. we've been waiting in, we've seen linebackers before Etienne Sabino is a dude that stands out. Curtis Grant, who, 
kind of it took them a long time and maybe they weren't great players but by the end of their careers were able to be very successful and play their role on the defense and I think that Justin Hilliard given his skill set can be a little bit more than that so it was super encouraging to see him get out there be healthy and make plays um Bill Davis you've moved to number one on the Holy Land pod (laughs) shit list amigo you are, you are the dude. You are yeah, at that top William, spot. William Davis, we are coming for you. We're coming for <laughs> your next. head, Bill Davis. We are adding you on Twitter. We are coming at you in real life. Man, he, woof. I don't know. We don't got to get much deeper into it than that, but Bill Davis, you got to go, bro. Yeah, Bill Davis, get this shit figured <laughs> out, bud. <laughs> Defensive line, where do you want to start? I, I think it's it's obvious that this is the engine for, if not, just the defense, the whole team, they go at least 10 deep uh, in the first line of defense for those guys with Nick Bosa, who just looked amazing, Chase Young, who looked great and did, in fact, turn one of Oregon State's quarterbacks into dust. Uh, And then the middle of the line, Draymond Jones, we were talking about Mike Weber looking like he got told about his draft evaluation Draymond Jones looked like somebody was like, yeah, you're a second rounder, maybe a third rounder. And he was like, oh, word? Second rounder, third rounder, he was awesome. He made a play on the first drive for Oregon State where he was 25 yards downfield on one of those screens, which continue to just baffle the Ohio State defense. But he made a couple of tackles for losses, made two sacks in this game more than he already had last year. I thought he was awesome in between him, Bosa, and Young. Like Those are your top three dudes, and, and that's super impressive. And then Big Bob Landers, Made a nice TFL early as well. But, man, defensive line as a whole, just just awesome. And if the back seven kind of cleans it up a little bit and gives those guys some help and teams just can't screen them to death, then it's easy to see why this defense could be one of the best just based off of those dudes alone. Yeah, the defensive line looks spectacular. Um, Draymond Jones really stood out to me. Nick Bosa had a good game. Chase Young did a couple kind of dumb things but he he definitely showed off his talent and his athleticism uh, it's pretty impressive that on a line with uh, you know Nick Bosa on the other side Chase Young is still pretty easily the best athlete on this line um, but um, you know I, I really I don't have anything negative to say about any of these guys they looked awesome they looked like we thought they would um, even some of the younger guys who were in later in the game like Tommy Togiai, Teron Vincent they both looked really good um, Antoine Jackson had I think he had a missed tackle yeah, on the um, touchdown run. early in the second half on the touchdown run. But outside of that, even a guy like Tyler Friday, I think that they all looked really good. Um, I was I was impressed with the with the defensive line, and I was really <clears throat> excited to see them play. And they really they showed up how we thought they would. And I'm excited to see what they can do against some better offenses. Do you have any worries about the defense overall after what we saw? I mean, I, I think just like relatively looking at the stats they gave up compared to everybody else in the country, it really isn't that bad. And I think that those big plays or those were basically all of Oregon state's offense. Those seven really big plays. They had two plays that went over 70 yards. And to me, those are a little bit more indicators of the defense just being young. And when you look back at the plays your bad pursuit angles, missed assignments. And I think that those are certain things that can be improved upon by, you know, midseason and as, as these guys play more games. But it's still concerning. But I think that if you're going to have 
an issue. This is one that I'm more okay with than others because I, I think that ultimately the defense isn't going to give up that level of big play. It looked like this was their a lot of these guys' first time playing, and I, I think that that's stuff that'll be cleaned up. But I, I do think we're going to see some growing pains with the back seven, particularly at that safety position. And you certainly hope that Jordan Fuller is is healthy as the season goes on. And even if they have to sit him in this Rutgers game, like, cool, fine with that. As long as he's good to go for TCU, that's that's fine with me. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, you mentioned the chunk plays. They had, um, you know, two touchdown runs of 80 and 78 yards, and then they had a 49-yard touchdown pass. If you take those plays away from their total yards gained, they'd be under 200 on the day. And that's, you know, you obviously can't take those plays away. They are part of the game. But you just limiting those big plays, not giving up an 80-yard run, not giving up a 78-yard run really early on in the second half. I think both of those were on back-to-back possessions. Just limiting those big plays, if Ohio State can figure out how to do that and they get their safeties back and they get their linebackers figured out i'm not super confident about that one but the rest of the defense i think can probably get it figured out and calm everything down and you know a lot of this was probably just nerves for a first game a lot of this defense is brand new and they you know they're playing their first game in a really really big stadium in a really big environment and i I can understand where they're coming from but just limiting those big plays is probably the most important thing and i I don't think i'm super worried about that and that seems like it'll probably be like if there's going to be an MO of the defense and going to be a weakness, it'll probably be the big play this year, even if it isn't in quite the volume that Oregon State was able to rip them off at. You know, I think we're we're not going to see a lot of teams either one have the talent or just be able to match up for nine or ten plays down the field with Ohio State's defensive line and, and that constant rotation of fresh bodies because your quarterback's going to get hit your line's going to get dominated. You're going to fall behind schedules. So I think if teams are going to score points against them this year, it's probably going to be off big plays, and, and that's going to be, I think, more of their MO. And this felt a lot like a 2013 game where the offense just needed to score every time they got the ball, and they did. This is like the 2013 Illinois game where it was it was 42-14 to 14 at halftime, and they really were just on their way to blowing them out and just keeping it that score but just a couple big plays didn't even really keep Oregon State in the game just kind of was like a major annoyance like ugh, this again so that that was interesting it felt just like we had traveled back in time and Everett Withers was like sup guys I'm back like what's what's really good (laughs) (laughs) I will say speaking of of Everett Withers and some um, defensive back play uh, we didn't talk about it a ton this offseason because I don't think we thought it would be a huge issue um, maybe Kerry Combs was a little bit more important yeah, than we thought. Yeah, seriously. Because <laughs> I like Tavor Johnson. I think Tavor Johnson's probably going to be fine. Kerry Combs might be that guy, and <laughs> he might maybe have been to thank for the elite defenses of the last couple years more so than uh, like Greg Schiano. And I, I think Alex Grinch will probably help get that figured out too. But certainly some concerns <laughs> with uh, what the loss of, of carry means for this defense and not really an, an encouraging start, but I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm super worried about it yet. If they go out and give up 30 to Rutgers, I'd be a little bit more concerned. 
Um, but obviously, we really won't know what this team is until they play TCU. Also, like one person asked Ryan Day about the defense after the game. Everybody was just like, Dwayne, the offense. How did Mike look? How did you feel? Like you were smiling out there. And one person was <laughs> like, so uh, how about the defense? And he just like gave like a two-second answer. And then everybody just went right back to talking about the offense. So that was kind of concerning that they just kind of blew past the defense. I'm sure we'll hear more about it uh, this week. But I certainly think they can't get worse against Rutgers. And to your point, if they do, then it'll be very concerning heading into a game like TCU where Patterson, Gary Patterson and his staff, we'll see with their quarterback play with Sean Robinson, but they can certainly scheme up in, against a team like that who likes to really spread out, use some wide splits, get the ball to their receivers and a lot of fast players like that Oregon state had speed. TCU is going to ramp that up. So it'll be very interesting to see how the defense responds and how they play against Rutgers, which I, I don't think is going to be a meaningless game when it comes to how this defensive back seven looks. Do you have any other big takeaways you want to talk about special teams? I know there's one thing in particular that we are both very angry about. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into that real quick. Um CJ Saunders returned to punts in this game. In this football game played between two power five teams, CJ Saunders was the the designated man that Ohio State decided, well he can probably return punts. And he went out there <laughs> And proceeded to, I, I think the first the first punt that he fielded, there was a um, a returner interference on Oregon State. But the second one was a fumble. I think it bounced off of Damon Arnett's helmet. And so on both of his two punt returns that he fielded, he ran into somebody as he was doing it. And I just, I don't know. I think a lot of people really like walk-ons and like the walk-on story. And, you know, like, I, I get it. I, I think it's cool when a, a former walk-on gets a scholarship, and I'm pretty sure C.J. Saunders did, if I remember right. Um, C.J. Saunders shouldn't be returning punts. I, I don't know if this is really, like, a, a hot take or anything. Um, C.J. Saunders probably shouldn't see the field with the starters because he's not that good at football. And I like him. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. He's not a Ohio State caliber football player and there's no real reason to have him on the field because he's not faster than Demario McCall. He can't field punts better than Demario McCall. And just like I, I'm sure that Demario probably did something <laughs> to merit this treatment. But just play Demario McCall. Put Paris Campbell back there if you can't play Demario. I don't care. Put KJ Hill back there. But C.J. Saunders is not the kind of guy that you need returning punts. <laughs> Yo, Jalen Marshall scarred this staff. They were like, never again. After all of the decisions that he made, they're just like, nope, it's not going to happen. But Demario McCall, one punt return, 26 yards. He's an absolute game breaker. Weird how that works. Yeah, and it was later in the game, but he is an absolute game breaker, and he's a dude that can change, change games for you and make plays and – C.J. Saunders is just not that, and I think that at times in the past, this coaching staff has just reeked of being conservative, and that is an area we saw it in the Virginia Tech game in 2015 when they put Zeke back there for just a shockingly bad reason. We saw it in after um, Paris Campbell got hurt in the Penn State game last season against put Iowa. And then, Mike Weber yeah, there. they put Mike Weber back at kick returner. There, there's just certain decisions that just reek of like, okay, like 
even if we don't get any yards, the ball's going to be safe. But it wasn't even safe with C.J. Saunders. It, it seemed like there was a miscommunication, at least two miscommunications between him and Damon Arnett and, and the other dudes out on the field. And that's really concerning. Like, you shouldn't – at Ohio State, you shouldn't have – a guy back at punt returner to just fair catch and maybe get six yards. Like with the athletes on this team, there should be that sense of like, let's put a dude back there. Let's change a game with a punt return. Let's make plays as heart stopping as Jalen Marshall was when he was returning punts. He also made some fairly big plays that yeah, he won that. He, in the he did. He, in he single handedly won that game. <laughs> he had at least one nice punt return in the, national title game against Oregon that gave them great field position. So, you know, if, if you're going to live by the playmaker, that's that's what you should do. And I don't think having a guy like C.J. Saunders back there really does anything for anybody. Yeah, I mean, you've got just the number of athletes on this team is absurd. They have so much talent. And you know that all of the receivers on this team fielded punts for their high schools. I mean, they know how to do it. They're like that. It doesn't change. <laughs> it's the same thing. You've got Demario McCall. You've got Jalen Gill, KJ Hill, Paris Campbell. You, I mean, you can just go down the list. Even defensive backs. You got Damon Arnett, Kendall Sheffield. If he's so fast, let him field punts. <laughs> it's just CJ Saunders' skills as a receiver is not that he's fast. <laughs> I feel like I'd rather have Chase Young returning punts. Yeah, even like. You, I don't think Ohio State even has a fullback. Just put a fullback back there. <laughs> I just don't I don't understand it. I'm, I'm trying to look at the roster and see who else is there. I think Zach Turner graduated. I think he was like the yeah. only linebacker fullback type. He's headbutted that Navy, that Army player on special teams <laughs> last year. That's all I remember. <laughs> That's all I remember from Zach Turner. But literally anything else at punt returner would be fine. I like C.J. Saunders as like the fifth receiver for the offense as an efficiency type. But even then, you know, who are you going to take off the field? It just seems like, yeah. hey, let's put CJ on the field. He's worked really hard, and it's great. We both, we both like the dude, but just in terms of playmaking ability and ability to do something, it's not the move. Do you have any final takeaways from this game? I, I You know, 77 to 31, they gave up 31 points, and they still covered a 38-point spread, which is amazing. Um, but I thought it was just business as usual. We'll see what happens against Rutgers. Uh, they, I think they just needed more consistency on defense, but very encouraging. Nobody got hurt, which is great. Offensive line looked good. Defense on the line dominated. We'll see what they do in the back seven. Yeah, I, I think that that's about it. I don't, I don't think I have any really big takeaways from this. There's only so much you can really take from these early season games. Um, excited to see how they look against Rutgers, ready to – to see if they can survive having two head coaches for the next couple weeks, I guess, which seems kind of ill-advised with Urban Meyer being allowed to coach during the week, but then not on game day. Not really sure what the point of that is. And maybe Dwayne Haskins is going to come out and run 20 times next week, but um, <laughs> I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, this team certainly has a very high ceiling. Um, I think they did what we were pretty much expecting them to do. We have any takes about anything else that went on in college football in week one? There was a lot of, I don't think that there was a lot of really great games, especially the high level ones, but it was very enjoyable. Do we want to talk at all about Michigan? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Michigan. <laughs> what? So help me understand something here. You're more in tune with the X's and O's portion of the game. I'm just too stupid to understand a lot of it. 
what does Michigan want to be offensively? Because they brought Shea Patterson on, they used him in the shotgun, but there was still a lot of Michigan Jim Harbaugh principles in there, and it just seems like they they're like us playing NCAA where we're running like fifteen different formations and like you could do that in a video game and it's fine, but real life it's super odd to say, but it feels like Michigan doesn't have an identity on offense. Yeah, I I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that their line stinks. Their their line they is are dreadful. So bad. Yeah, their line is dreadful and it really has been since he got there. And um, there's not an answer for that problem on the roster. There's not an answer for that problem in the 2019 recruiting class. I just, I don't know how you can have a good offense with a line that bad. And I, I think that Harbaugh has kind of realized that. And they tried going out of the shotgun. They tried spreading it out and going with what Shea Patterson knows. He just didn't have enough time to do anything. The offensive line was not opening up holes for the running backs. Um, I think Michigan has skill position talent. I think Shea Patterson's a good quarterback. I don't think that they're going to have any time to show that this year because this line is just dreadful. And Notre Dame's defense is good. I don't think that they're as yeah. good as Michigan made them look because uh, there are better defenses that Michigan's going to have to play this season. And that's that's real concerning. <laughs> that's not good news for Michigan. And it looks like they're going to have to screen teams to death, and yeah. that is not a great strategy against mm -hmm. Michigan State or Wisconsin or if Ohio State puts it together, that defense as well. Like That is just not what you want out of, out of an offense. And I think that if their line continues to play that way, I, I thought Patterson played fine, but I just don't know if he fits what they want to do and – you know, he is going to take a beating behind that line. Like, I hope he's healthy. I, yeah, man, I, I hope, feel bad for I him. hope he makes it through <laughs> a whole season. But when you get beat up that bad in week one and you still have Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State, and even, like, tertiary games on the road at Northwestern, like, yeesh, he's not the biggest dude anyway, and they're going to face some good defensive lines. Yeah, I, I, I think that Michigan is in some trouble this season. I, um... I don't think Jim Harbaugh is anywhere near getting fired. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to get fired for anything short of like three or four straight seasons where they don't go to a bowl game because the boosters there really don't want to fire him and the higher-ups at Michigan really don't want to have to do another hiring process. But eight and four feels about right for this Michigan team. Obviously, it's really easy to overreact to week one games, but I just don't see it. I don't see how they could beat Wisconsin or Michigan State or you know, Ohio State, obviously, or even a team like Penn State or Northwestern, you know, and Penn State struggled against Appalachian State and Northwestern didn't look great against Purdue, but Michigan looked bad. I mean, they, they made the score closer than it probably, than the game probably actually was, but Notre Dame was able to, to get some offense going on the Michigan defense that we really thought would be dominant. And that's not good because <laughs> they really need that defense to be as good as advertised advertised if not better and I don't think it really was in this game and I don't think Michigan has the offense to keep up with the best teams on their schedule for every college football fan base that wants their team to hire an alum and a former player like this is the drawback when things go wrong and you have the boosters that really like him that's the position you can put yourself into and right now John Jim Harbaugh looking like extra strength John Embry at, uh, <laughs> at Michigan. Um, there really wasn't a lot of other things in the Big Ten. Wisconsin 
they they just rolled. I think where they played. Yeah, they're Wisconsin, Utah, Utah <laughs> State, or somebody, some Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, yeah. somebody of that ilk. Um, Purdue Northwestern was a lot of fun. Michigan State played Utah State, and they almost lost. Penn State should have lost. Oh, I State. I will die on the hill <laughs> that Penn State got away with a massive hold on like a second down on that last drive. And Scott Satterfield once again just angering me online with what he does against these power five teams. He's a great coach, but go for the win, bro. Go for the win. Why, why did they kick that field goal? Man, it was either, can we hit this 57 yard field goal or can we get four yards? God. <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense to try that. Cause you know, you're not going to hit the field goal. And even if you don't convert on the fourth down, they're getting the ball at the same spot as they would. If you try the field goal, if you're going to, like you could just punt at that point. <laughs> yeah, you might as well just punt and try to pin him back and like try to pin him back on the two and get a safety. Like if you want to play yeah. that game, Trace McSorley looks like he's in for a very throws for four thousand yards. Penn State goes eight and four season. <laughs> like age. ideal. Yeah, they 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 did not as a team look great. And James Franklin has caught a lot of shit like in the last two weeks because everybody said he was overrated and we know what he can do as a recruiter. But I, I really do think that this is going to be a very prove-it season for him, not in the sense of like his job, but just without Saquon Barkley, without Joe Moorhead, because some of the some of the game management stuff is just like lacking because Appalachian State should have won that game. Yeah, they should have. Appalachian State kind of blew it there at the end, and that's really not where you want to be if you're a Penn State-level team, that you need – uh, a team like Appalachian State, who is, you know, admittedly, I, I think some people are kind of overlooking this. Appalachian State's a damn good yeah, team. Yeah, they are good. <laughs> that, is, that is a very good football team. But it's still a Sunbelt team, you know, and it, it's not a game that Penn State should be losing. I, I certainly didn't think it was going to be a blowout by, by any means, but I didn't think it would come down to having to win it in overtime thanks to a a late touchdown to tie it from Penn State, not from Appalachian State. I mean, this was not really a fluke game. It didn't seem like Appalachian State was just going with them for pretty much the entire game. They had a big comeback in the fourth quarter. But Penn State, kind of concerning there. It's really not the kind of start that you want for a team that I don't think I ever thought was really a playoff contender this year, but for a team that was probably hoping to win 10 or 11 games maybe, and it's just, um, you know, that's a concerning start for James Franklin without Joe Moorhead. And I, I certainly have more questions than I do answers right now about that offense and about that defense. you have any Texas thoughts? They're not back. <laughs> they, are not, they are not. I think this might just be what they are. Yeah, it could, and this could be yeah. just kind of what Tom Herman is. And what put him on the map was that win against Oklahoma. But if you go back and watch that game, like the return field goal for a touchdown – really changed that game and OU wasn't like top level they weren't bad that season but I think everything may have just come together and cooked for him at Houston and now it's it's a little harder and with that booster and how that program is set up man he's he's got a lot of pressure on him yeah and I mean you know he he had a rough day on Saturday maybe he uh he hit up the the local I think the game was in um it was in Washington DC so maybe he hit up some of the the um the local areas to see if there was maybe a uh, a restaurant or perhaps a club that he could uh calm down at a little bit unwind 
I'll tell you one thing about that son of a bitch, Tom Herman Patrick. He calls himself <laughs> Texas Tom. I got a national championship ring. I can drive down 6th Street, get toppy in the droppy whenever I want, baby. That's why I'm Mac Brown. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been will- I've been waiting to break out my Mac Brown impersonation for a long time now and in folks, this will not be the last time. This is the first time, but it definitely will not be the last but like you said that reminds me that reminds me real quick um people should prepare this season if ohio state ever loses i um i sent colton a message earlier last week and i'm not going to get the chance to do it this week because there's nothing to be upset about but if ohio state ever loses i'm doing alex jones in the (laughs) press conference voice urban meyer alex or or, yeah urban meyer alex jones crossover episode it's coming. If they ever lose, when they lose to Purdue, it's coming. So be ready for it. Ohio State loses, and this podcast is getting absolutely nuked. We are just destroying yeah. it. We're <laughs> destroying our listenership. But yeah, Mac Brown is here. He's logged on, and it will not be the last time you hear from him. And if you want to hear from him again, be sure to visit soundcloud.com slash Grant Holy Land. Find all the episodes of the show. Subscribe to the podcast. Go on Apple Podcasts. Search hang out in the holy land there's two different feeds we can't get rid of the other one for some reason i've tried to email apple and be like hey we don't use this anymore and they're just like cool whatever um but go to the right one you'll find the updated shows there leave a review tell me what you think about the mac brown impersonation leave us at least three stars i'm not asking for a five-star review like these other podcast hosts will just Leave us a passing grade and let us know what you think about the show. <laughs> um, you can go to LandGrantHolyLand.com, find all of Patrick's writing. He is the lead voice of Land Grant and Holy Land. You can find my writing. I do a, a Friday column. I got five on it every Friday before the games. Uh, follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. And continue to visit Land Grant and Holy Land for all of your Ohio State slash writing slash basketball when it ramps up needs yeah i think that's good cool well until next time which is literally like two days from now when we preview (laughs) rutgers of all teams folks (laughs) that will be a blast we'll be back on wednesday night probably late as our usual uh podcast schedule drop it's going to be around midnight possibly 2 a.m eastern time so be on the lookout for that but until then for patrick mayhorn i'm colton denning and this is the hangout in the holy land